grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. You guys have learned so well. You know, when I was here, came on board about 24 years ago, I'd stand up and say hello, and people go, mm -hmm. <laughs> You got it. I'm proud of you. Friends, it's a privilege to welcome you, whether you are here in the sanctuary of the Village Church or somewhere else in the world at some other time, worshiping with us online. We are all here to worship the living God. So let us be called together to worship in our common voice as we read responsively from the 40th Psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Let us worship God. Join me now in the prayer of confession. Merciful God, you made us in your image with a mind to know you, a heart to love you, and a will to serve you. But our knowledge is imperfect, our love inconstant, our obedience incomplete. Day by day, we fail to grow into your likeness. Yet you are slow to be angry with your children. For the sake of Jesus Christ, 
your Son, our Savior, do not hold our sins against us, but in your tender love, forgive. Amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. May the God of mercy, who forgives you all your sins, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. And now you may share signs of Christ's love with one another. Friends, as you are beginning to settle in, let me invite the younger disciples of our congregation, if they so choose, to uh, head off to Sunday school. Your leaders are there at the back. You're always welcome to have the kids in worship with you. That is perfectly fine with us. I was a child once myself, and uh, I know what it's like to sit through church. I did that from the age of six weeks old. We didn't have Sunday school during church. You had Sunday school after church, so I learned how to sit there and listen to the board preacher. Actually, they were quite interesting preachers. I've tried to live up to their example ever since. At any rate, thanks for being here with us, kids, and you're welcome to continue to stay. Let me mention just a few other things of note. Thanks to Elder Kathy Stumpf to, uh, for being with us this morning in leadership. Jan Farley and several others from our church are on their way to Oaxaca, Mexico uh, to participate in and to learn more about the ministry of Plant with Purpose. At this hour as well, our junior and senior Hi, folks, our meeting over in the youth room. We are so pleased to have a youth ministry up and running again and encourage your continued prayers for those folks. Our Monday evening Bible study is resuming a week from tomorrow on October 3rd. They'll be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're interested in participating in that or in anything else that I mention, please be sure to check out Wednesday's news and notes email or simply go to the church website website, and you can find all the other information that you need to have. For instance, next Sunday we're having a blood drive here at the church, and if you're interested in signing up for that, you can go online to sign up. On the 9th, two weeks from today, after church, we're having a gathering of those interested in being part of the Gathering of Eight. Now, we used to call that Table for Eight, when people would gather uh, for dinner with each other simply to enjoy and fellowship. We're expanding that concept a little bit to include any kind of gathering that you would like to have. Maybe eight of you
you would like to get together and go skydiving or something like that? I don't know. But participate in that, and we'll tell you more about it in a couple of weeks. So one of the most exciting things that's going on in life today for two or three people here is the fact that Juan Carlos Acosta has gotten older today. Okay, so hang with me here. I forgot to seat them. I'm an amateur at this, but I think they sounded pretty good, don't you? Totally, totally. I've tried to make you all real happy because the next thing I'm going to do is ask you for your money. <laughs> it's not me asking, and it's not only about your money. It's about your, yourself, your life, everything that you are. Let's bring our offerings to God as we hear this next musical piece.
may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, you are the rock upon whom all else in creation is built. From your strength comes ours to give us all that we need to build our own lives. We praise and worship you, therefore, in the first thoughts and words that we express in our prayer. When we think of who you are and think of ourselves, we find ourselves saddened, ashamed, and convinced of our failure to be the kind of people that you made us to be. Help us to be honest with ourselves and then to be honest with you. We are willing to admit our failures before you only because we are convinced that you love us even more than we love ourselves. In your grace, we know we can move beyond our sadness and shame and move into lives that become beautiful again, a blessing to others and even to ourselves. Lord, save us from the self-centeredness that leads us to pray only for ourselves and then hear our prayers for others. Some of us here and around the world are grieving the loss of a loved one. Some are struggling to put bread on the table. Some trying to find the path back to a healed relationship or the will to keep fighting another day or the help to battle an addiction. Some of our needs go beyond individuals and into whole communities and even nations. Help us, we pray, for we seem not to be able to help ourselves as we suffer from warfare, from poverty, from attitudes and actions that belittle others. Stand beside those who battle raging storms or chronic drought or ancient practices that have harmed the earth itself. Encourage those who find the courage to tell the truth or to lay their lives on the line for the sake of others. Savior, amidst all of the earthly and physical needs we name, there is also our spiritual need that only you can answer. Help us to be more faithful to those disciplines that help us enter your presence. Help us to be less fearful and anxious. Help us to keep going when our faith itself wavers. Help us to so live that when others see us, hear us, and know us, that they cannot help but see you and come to believe and trust you. O Spirit of comfort and power, speak for us those prayers that we are too timid to voice or too blind to see or too deaf to hear. We cast ourselves upon your mercy and this fills us with hope. For you are a holy and redeeming God, overflowing with steadfast love. Hear us now as we pray together in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Oh, the stone that the builders rejected, the 
A reading from the Gospel according to John. When many of Jesus' disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? 
But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the 12, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, though one of the 12, was going to betray him. The word of the Lord. The stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone of a whole new world. That's going to live with me for a while. That was so good. That was so good. You're going to forget everything I say, but don't forget that. We've had a lot of fun in the last few weeks as we've welcomed a new youth director and thought more about how youth ministry can again expand and grow here. And that has been taking me back into the deep, dark ages of my early life and ministry when I not only was a youth, somewhere around the 1600s, and then when I worked with youth in the 1700s, way back then, way back then, there were all kinds of games that we played, not only to keep the kids excited and interested, but hopefully to teach something. And one of those games, I'm sure some of you also played. One of them involved taking some of the kids from the youth group, or maybe all of them, but making sure that we had some of our biggest and strongest ones, and we would cluster them all very tightly together, facing in the same direction. And then we would take one of the young folks and invite them to come stand in front of the group with their back to the group, about three feet away or so, and then to put their arms at their side very rigidly, even perhaps to put their hands in their pockets. And then after a few moments of preparing everybody, that one individual standing in front of the group would simply fall backwards. How many of you have done that? How many of you would be terrified by doing that? 
How many of you would like to try? You're on. We call that an exercise in practicing faith. Faith that somebody would catch you. How many of you always succeeded in catching the falling person? Usually that's the way it would work. I said usually, Roger. <laughs> I'm not going to ask how many of you dropped somebody. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about in this new series of messages that we started a couple of weeks ago. We talked about that which is underneath everything, or perhaps more accurately said, the one who is underneath it all, the one upon whom you can always trust not only to catch you, but the one whom you can trust to build your life on, the rock of our lives. We talked last week about the fact that we are sometimes so foolish so stubborn, so careless as to look for other things, to build on shifting sand, the sand of our whims, our desires, our decisions, our opinions that we elevate above the teaching and wisdom of God. But always we come back to the rock. By the way, how many of you still have your rocks? Okay, I'm not going to ask if you lost your rock. It's a completely anonymous thing. We have a whole lot more rocks still out in the blue plastic baskets outside as you're leaving the congregation. So please feel free to take another rock. Don't judge someone who's taking a rock. They might not have been here until today, and they're going to take their very first rock. You're laughing too hard, Phyllis. I know there's a story behind this here. <laughs> if you want another rock, you know, maybe you have, want to have one at home and one at the office. Maybe you want to give one to somebody. Helen and I have been mailing rocks to people. When I say Helen and I, Bob, that means Helen has been mailing rocks to people, of course, of course. There are lots of folks now who are participating in the life of our church online, and some of them live thousands of miles away. But one thing we've learned is that the United States Post Office always asks if you want to insure whatever's in that package. And Helen said no, and the guy looked at her kind of crazy. And, he said, but there's got to be something in here. It's kind of heavy. And she said, yeah, I don't need to buy a hundred bucks worth of insurance for this six-cent rock. But it is a very precious rock, isn't it? Some of you have what you consider to be our society, and I agree, we consider them to be very precious rocks, don't we? How many of you have one on your left hand right now? Great. How many of you have them dangling from your ears? I'm not going to ask any more than that. <laughs> we are talking about the most precious rock of all. 
the rock upon whom we are taught, we are encouraged, we are commanded, we are invited, we are exhorted to build our lives, the rock of Jesus. As we're thinking about that rock today, I want to mention in this context what I have observed and have now come to believe is a spiritual problem among us. It is the problem of believing in a generic God, kind of like this rock. This rock is pretty generic. I'm sure there are people out there who could tell me exactly what kind of rock that is. All I know is it's a rock. <laughs> that's the extent of my geological understanding. And that's indicative of how many of us think about God. It's a pretty generic God that lots of us worship and believe and trust in, if we worship and believe and trust at all. The fact is there are few folks in the world who don't believe in God whatsoever. And in a sense, I'm not talking to them. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the vast majority of people in the world who believe in God. And I'm not knocking that. Belief in God is a pretty important thing. But we believe in a very specific God, the one true God, and we believe in very specific ways. I can usually tell the difference as I'm visiting with people. And again, you know that so much of my conversation with you comes out of your conversation with me, especially when you, not so much you guys, you already know this, but people meet me for the first time and somebody says, oh, he's a Presbyterian minister, and then all hell breaks loose after that. Almost always, people start making excuses for not coming to church or they start trying to get away from me or whatever, but, but, but oftentimes, oftentimes people will say, I believe in God. And I say, that's fantastic. And then I start to ask them gently, lovingly, kindly, but persistently sometimes, just who is the God you believe in? And lots of people believe in what I have come to call now a generic God. I believe in God. Great. What kind of a God? A God who punishes you? A God who ignores you? A God who sits somewhere out there in the heavens laughing at your failures and mistakes? What kind of a God? Who is this God in whom you believe? You and I are blessed that we know about God. We're not forced to believe in just a generic God. In fact, we are here because we believe in a very specific God. That's why we are called Christians. You might pronounce it Christian, but pronounce it differently for a moment. A Christian. Christians don't just believe in a generic God. We believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the only Son of the living God. That's who we are. Yes, we will have respect and love for 
others who believe in other manifestations, other visions, other understandings of God, but we must always insist, as Jesus insisted, that he's the way, the truth, the life. That's the way and the truth and the life that we know. That's what Christians believe. Now, we need to talk more about that. There's a lot more to say about trusting Jesus, the Son of the living God. And to help us do that, to help us have that conversation, I want to take us into a conversation about the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to John, a portion of which Kathy just read for us a moment ago. Let's get the context. I'll tell you the whole story. It was too much Scripture to read. That sounds strange to say. How can there be too much Scripture to read, right? But the way the story begins, Jesus is preaching and thousands of people have come to hear him and most of them have not planned well. They forgot to stop off at Wendy's or McDonald's and grab a happy meal or over at the deli and grab something. They've shown up, they've been there for hours, they're starving, they're hungry. Jesus finds someone that has a little scrap of food and he turns it into enough food to feed 5,000 people. And all the people say, wow, this is great. Here's a free source of food. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is amazing. And the fact that we had food to eat is amazing. And that's where a lot of people's vision and understanding stopped. Jesus is a great miracle worker. He can feed people. Jesus himself was not all that impressed with his own miracle. <laughs> because he wanted to talk about something much more important than one single meal. He wanted to talk about that which truly, always, forever, completely feeds us. And so a conversation ensues after this amazing miracle. And in that conversation, Jesus says something that Jesus' people ever since have latched onto and held up in front of each other. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We say that because we believe it and we affirm it when we gather around the table where Jesus continues to feed us. Now, back when that incident of the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 occurred, we are told by John that there was all kinds of conversation. Some people were just happy that they'd gotten a meal. Great, that was wonderful. Some people were threatened by this new guy who had the power to feed 5,000. Most people were confused. It did not fit within the way life normally works. They didn't understand. And as Jesus started talking with them about the fact that he himself was the bread of life, some began to think that he was crazy. Some began to say, well, you know, he's getting too theological on us here. It's time to go home and feed the dog. And so people started to fall away. 
Now, there's a lot more going on here, I'm sure, but there were large crowds following Jesus, but all those crowds were temporary crowds. They had other things to do, perhaps. They had business meetings. They had soccer practice. The pews were uncomfortable. The preacher was boring. I don't dare insult the choir. There's more of them than me. <laughs> there were some who were just falling away. There were some who were worried, some who were upset. There were a few who were still believing, and there were some who were not believing anymore. Just like today. Just like it's always been in the life of Jesus' people. Now, as the story goes, as John tells it, we have this sense that the huge crowds have dissipated and Jesus is left with just his disciples. Maybe it was just the 12. Probably it was some more gathered around, but the 12 were the ones on whom they focused. And in the discussion that Jesus has is with the 12, he talks about all kinds of important things, but there are three that speak to me today, so I want to speak them to you. He reminds those who are still with him, who are courageous enough or stubborn enough or hopeful enough that they want to stick with him. He reminds them that true life, not just the life that's nurtured by one more meal in your belly, but true life from God is what he's all about. There's a deeper reality between what Jesus calls just the flesh and the world of the spirit. That confuses a lot of people because of the way the language is discussed and used in the New Testament. Jesus and Paul and many others talk about the life of the flesh. That was simply a way of referring to everything physical in creation. Now, we need physical stuff in creation, don't we? We need to eat. I'm looking forward to a couple great meals today have no clue what they're going to be, but I have confidence it'll be there. Not everyone can say that. We need the flesh. We need the things of this world, this good world that God created. We need our food and our clothes and all the other stuff that comes along with it. But Jesus reminds his disciples, just after he's fed them a little meal, he reminds that there's something much more important that's underneath all of that. The true life comes from the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that God, that God blew into that lump of clay that he made into a human being. He then says to those who will listen that he himself, he himself, his words, his deeds, his mere presence with them is the one in whom we see the union of this world of the Spirit and the world of God and the world of the flesh. It's very easy for you and me to see the world of the flesh. It's right here, right in front of our noses. That's easy. What's not so easy is the world of the Spirit, the world of God. 
that truth and that power and that intelligence and that reality that was there before all of this and will be there after all of this is gone. We believe that Jesus is the place, the event, the person in whom all that is of God is blended perfectly, uniquely, mysteriously, yet unmistakably with that which is of the world, God and human. That's who Jesus is. So when we want to understand the rock upon which we are building our lives, we are pointed to this person and see how he built his life. The third thing that Jesus says in this conversation is that the ability, the ability that we have to see this truth and to understand this reality and to begin to trust it and build our lives on it comes from two things that are directly opposed to each other. On the one hand, Jesus says that the ability to believe is a gift from God. It is a gift of faith. Go back and read the words of that passage. He says, God gives faith to some. God gives to some people the ability to understand and to see. Just as Jesus says, I chose the 12, God chooses some to reveal himself, to make himself known. But that's only one side of it. The other side of it is that we have to open our eyes and open our hearts and choose to believe and choose to see. Now, what I've just said makes no sense in any world other than the world that God has created. I cannot reach out and simply grab a gift for myself. The gift has to be offered. God offers the gift. That's the gift of free grace. And then God gives me the gift of choosing somewhere in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit, to receive that gift. People often ask the question about when Jesus chose 12 disciples to follow him, and Jesus refers to it right here. Yeah, he chose 12 disciples to follow him, and he did really well in 11 out of 12 choices. Why was that? Because one chose to do something different. One chose not to follow. And truth be told, I can find more truth about myself, perhaps, in the one who chose not to follow than in the 11 who did. You and I are those who have chosen to trust Jesus, to believe Jesus, to follow Jesus. And there are some practical realities that we have to speak of in that business. The older I get, the more I'm interested in what works, <laughs> what actually happens in life. And what actually happens in life is that we say as Christians that we follow only Jesus. We follow Jesus supremely, and yet we need other people in that process, don't we? 
We need someone else to tell us about Jesus. We need someone else to show us how Jesus might do things. Our parents, our families, our friends, our pastors, our youth group leaders, there are a whole lot of other people involved in this enterprise of helping each one of us and all of us together to follow Jesus. But we are in great peril indeed if we ever decide to follow one of Jesus's followers and not Jesus himself. We're stuck in what admittedly can be a hard place because the only reason you know anything about Jesus, the only reason I know anything about Jesus is because somebody else told us, somebody else showed us. And that's actually the way God made it to be, is that we are made to work in a community with each other, to keep encouraging and teaching and cajoling and pushing and pulling and congratulating and patting on the back and hugging and doing all that stuff we do, all for the singular purpose of helping us follow Jesus. And we never stop. I have yet to meet the perfect Christian. I have yet to meet the person who has fulfilled in every aspect of their being and doing everything that God meant for them to do. And so we keep working, regardless of our age, regardless of our theological knowledge, regardless of our service, regardless of how much we give to the life of the church, we never stop following. So that's one practical reality that we live with every day, is that we live with each other, always encouraging each other. And so we do two things in that process. We always say to each other, as I am saying to you today, follow Jesus, only Jesus. Don't follow me. And yet, we're going to follow Jesus together. That's one reality. The other that I want to lift up is the fact that we are always being tempted to follow someone else. That's simply true. We are always being tempted to follow someone else. In fact, the temptation can be so subtle, so powerful, so seductive that we don't even know we're being tempted. There are lots of other gurus out there There are lots of people in the life of the church who will say, do it exactly the way I say to do it, and you'll be just fine. If you ever meet a person like that, or if I ever say that to you, shoot me. Let's just be done with it. Because I don't know everything. You don't know everything. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Well and good. Let's follow together. We're so, so tempted, though, to follow other gurus, other teachers, other people within the Christian community and without the Christian community. We're also tempted, obviously, to make ourselves into God. Yeah, you have to decide. You're the only one who can decide what you're going to do, what you're going to say, what you're going to do as you take all of this information, this, this experience, this example that you have from everyone, only you can decide what you're going to do with it, but don't ever make the mistake of deciding that you do it perfectly. Do know this, that you can get better 
and that you can do it right sometimes. All of us do it right sometimes, hopefully more often than not. But we are always called only to look to Jesus. And we are called always to question whether we're following Jesus or something else. Our political ideology, our genetic predilections, our prejudices, our preferences, it's always only about Jesus. In the conversation that Jesus was having with the disciples, they were obviously talking about themselves and everyone else saying, well, Jesus, you know, 5,000 showed up for a free meal. Where are they now? And Jesus said, do you also wish to go away? You know that as the story unfolds, they did all go away. But some came back. Some never gave up because Jesus never gave up on them, and one of them was Peter. When Jesus asked them, do you want to go away? Are you so confused, so conflicted, so much in turmoil in your inner self that you've decided this just isn't worth it, that you want to go away? And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Have you given up on Jesus? Are you learning about Jesus from trustworthy teachers? Are you spending time and energy with Jesus? Are you ignoring Jesus and wasting your time elsewhere? Are you looking first and last to Jesus? I can't answer those questions for you. Only you can answer those questions. My job is to keep pointing you to Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join me in expressing an affirmation of our faith as printed in your bulletin. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us.
you and I have no choice but to trust and obey something or someone. We have to fall back. Let's fall back on the one who will never let us fail. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you right now and forever. Let God's people say, Amen. Amen.